0: Hey, everyone, it's Ra going back with Mind Rolling and just talking to my guest today, Amanda Gilbert. Amanda, so great. I said, Amanda, you you look familiar, like we already know each other. Not that we can find any kind of place where we might have happened to meet up, but it's just that, uh, the vibration, right?
1: Truly, it's so good to be here. Thank you so much much for having me on your beautiful show ragu i'm delighted
0: so um amanda has a wonderful book by the way called kindness now and um right on the top there tara brock who's uh that's a good testimonial let this wise and beautiful book guide you on this path of healing and freedom for me freedom is the uh byword for sure. Uh, But, uh, I, so, you know, just looking around, see what it is that I could find, uh, that would prompt me, to certain avenues, of uh, getting to know you better. And, uh, so, on on your website. So, one of the things, uh, that I usually do, is say to a guest, that I don't know, or have not met, maybe, maybe, more accurate. Just how did the evolvement of you from uh, as a child into an adult include uh, finally at some point, which is what happened to me, I realized there was a path that uh, we did not have to be in, for me at the time, in this depressive miasma And, uh, you know, only Bob Dylan was my savior in that moment because he made it known that we are all in this boat. So uh, it's okay. So it was the first time I kind of knew it was okay until I happened to meet up with John Coltrane. uh, Not meet him, but be in his presence when he was performing when I was really young. And, and had a whole other experience. But that's another story. Yeah. But the reality is, I, I look at your, so I was looking at, your, um, at the website just about you, and, and it says, Amanda first meditated at the age of 17 while being homeschooled in West Virginia with a group of Native American, African, and yeah. South American Native elders. Yeah. Okay, this is not my experience and not the experience of most people. I mean, you, okay, how did they get there? Who are your parents? What, what are we talking about?
1: I love that we're landing right here. And um, just to even take a step back to, I love that you brought in the aspect of path. Like when do we really realize that there is a path through our our? human lives, our human existence in the sense where we can maybe learn how to meet our human lives with an open heart as Mm. much as we can, um, especially as modern human beings. And I find that there is such a sense of familiarity when we meet each other on the path. And I sense that sense of home and familiarity here with you too. And um, for me, I first stepped onto the path in that moment that you described, and I actually also talk about it in one of the opening chapters in, in Kindness Now, my recent book, because it is a unique story that was a very particular circumstance to find myself in as a teenager. And what got me there was actually the experience of real dissatisfaction. I had become a really classic angsty teenager, completely disenchanted uh, by pretty much everything other than a few moments of art class, was acting out unskillfully in a variety of ways from not going to school to staying out late past curfews. I mean, that whole perfect picture of adolescent angst. And so my parents had the uh, wonderful opportunity to figure out ha- what to do with me, number one, and number two, how to just help me get through, get through high school in an efficient way, I guess, at that point. My mom actually was heavily involved with the Landmark Education Forum, uh, which is a personal growth and development organization that, that focuses a lot on on personal growth, um, techniques and personal empowerment techniques. And so in a sense, we had a very open dialogue about, about learning lessons together as a family. We had open lines of communication. So we all sort of realized at one point, okay, let's just get Amanda through, through the rest (laughs) of her obligatory schooling as quickly as possible. So they very lucky for me, found, um, a homeschool in the middle of the Appalachian Mountains in West Virginia. And the founder of this school, the school no longer exists. It closed down a number of years ago, but the founder of this school had spent decades down in South America, learning the indigenous wisdom of the four winds, um, from, from elders in South, in South America. And, the four the wisdom of the four winds is very much along the lines of each of the four winds north south east and west symbolizes and embodies wisdom different aspects of the of of ancient wisdom from that particular culture the north represents finding your true authenticity and north star Mm. and the wind of the east is the wind of change and so this uh was all instilled into the curriculum at this this high school. And there were Native American elders who had come to to, to teach us young people at this school. There was a prince, there was royalty from Africa um, there at this school. It was just an incredible gathering of, of people, of humans. And I can see that now, especially... At the age and the location where i'm at now just like how beautiful these humans were who all showed up to do this this work with with us at that age um and so my first time meditating was in the mornings at this school with my hiking boots all laced up because we were doing a lot of wilderness based skill sets and techniques and, and uh, we were working a lot with with nature at that time and we'd lace up our hiking boots And we'd all gather around in a circle and we were told to bring our attention inwards and really start to contemplate like what our North Star of the day was, what our intentions were, what type of people we wanted to be in the world. And it was the first time that I ever meditated. It was the first time I also ever felt a sense of home and safety and ease and belonging inside of myself. And so it was that very first moment meditating in high school in the middle of the woods in the Appalachian Mountains where I got that real taste of what I'd really been searching for unskillfully all of those years prior.
0: Really? (laughs) Good karmas. I mean, (sighs) I uh, was very similar to you and I got sent away, but I was bad. You're good. I was actually acting out way beyond, like taking my father's hot sports car uh, and racing in the streets uh, after midnight you know, and all of that. And, oh, my God, that I survived yeah. is a miracle. So they sent me away to a school, private school, Cheshire Academy, actually, in Connecticut, right near Yale, New Haven. And uh, just I continued to act out. I got saved by a teacher who ca- yeah. cared about me. Isn't that what it's all about in terms of students and and teachers where you feel like you're cared for and you respond to that, which I did and barely just got out of uh, all of that. But uh, you, on the other hand, were handed these incredible elders Mm -hmm. and uh, a dimension of authenticity that Mm -hmm. uh, is very rare, very rare. Not that I should complain, I went to India, you know, this is all about 15, 16 and all that. And I look back now and went, "Oh my." Like 7 or 8 years later, I ended up in India, you know, with uh, Ramdas and Neem Karoli Baba. So mm. I I uh, very good. It was very good, you know. So I have nothing to complain about, but I do remember the suffering and those days and stuff like that happens in all, all of our Growing up, what we take on, uh, what we are handed, causes and conditions, the kind of parents that we had, mm-hmm. elicit a certain something that is up there for transformation, grist for the mill, as Ramdash used to call it. So, yeah. uh, and that took a, a, quite a while to, to even realize that. And uh, I did what many people did when they found the path, uh, a lot of bypassing mm-hmm. a lot of spiritual bypassing, which is so endemic and common uh, with all of our brethren that are in mm. all these different traditions and so on. But, um, so over, so then what after you uh, got out of that school, what happened?
1: It was really interesting because even though I had meditated at that point, um, and it, it really touched my mind and my heart at that at that age i noticed for the years after that that meditation kept showing up at my doorstep almost unsolicited and unasked for whether it was by being a part of my undergraduate college curriculum or by certain notable people literally handing me books on meditation that were timely medicine that I needed at that point in time. And uh, really just having a lot of really um, incredible meditation teachers and spiritual teachers just in my sphere or in my world. I spent about three to four years living in Prescott, Arizona, mm-hmm. where I went to college after high school and being in Sedona, being in that part of the world. It was There was an aspect of spirituality there, um, just sort of in my communities and my college, even in, in the landscape. And so looking back now, I can really see that meditation kept showing up. It kept coming to me in all these variety of ways. And then though, what got me really serious about meditation, because before I'd always remembered that first initial moment in high school and just how much it had really, um, supported my inner world when, when I was meditating at that point, I definitely was more of a crisis meditator, you know, when yes. things <laughs> when things weren't going well, or I had the big test the next day, or my yeah. life was falling apart in that moment, you know, whatever was going on in college, I would meditate then. And it was so helpful. And it felt and I felt better. And crisis. then a few days later,
0: a few days later,
1: please, yes, please. A few days later, I wouldn't be meditating anymore. And then though, and then I encountered just a really big life altering um, moment in my early twenties where, um, you know, just all sense of identity was lost. The rug was pulled out from underneath me. Life as I knew it changed dramatically and immediately changed. And so I was then in a period of, of healing. Yes. But also, trying to put the, the broken pieces back together again after uh, what I'd been through and talk about just maybe the karma or this aspect of our true north or our, or our authenticity kicking in, our inner wisdom kicking in. Something during those first few months of my healing process said to me, without a shadow of a doubt, it said, Amanda, meditation is going to be the way that you that you." eventually perhaps put yourself back together again. Meditation is the way that you will uh, perhaps heal and maybe become whole or complete or you again. And in that moment, that's when I got really serious about meditation. And I went and found my first teachers. I started to sit meditation retreats. I started a daily meditation practice in 2009. And that was a big shift for me, that really, spawned me into, that really spawned the next chapter of like my meditation path, which was that I became a consistent and daily meditator. And then um, luckily also was in clinical research at one point too, where I was studying uh, the clinical effects of mindfulness and meditation at UCSF.
0: Yeah, I saw that. That's fascinating mm-hmm. work as well. And you came up with what the, uh, are close to, or knew about, of course, what the Tibetans uh, were doing, or the, the Ritchie Davidsons of this world were experimenting with the Tibetan lamas and so on, starting with Ming-Jur Rinpoche, actually.
1: Yes. I love that body of research so yeah. much.
0: Yeah, it is so fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Do you and know, have you, have you met Ming-Jur Rinpoche?
1: I haven't met him no, I haven't met him Do you him know yet. who he
0: is? He's I one do. Of, yeah. Right. Tukul Urgin's sons. I mean, they're all great. It's like the most... Uh, I've done actually a couple of podcasts with him. There's something... I mean, just his face with that shining mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. reflection of loving awareness, Ram He He's mm-hmm. really a, a reflection of that. He's incredible and so real. Um, and he was, yeah, they, uh, the, they worked with him the first time using all of that um, science around just trying to uh, calculate what happened on, on these monitors when they would say, and in this case, they said to him, okay, so get into compassion, however mm-hmm. they said that to him. And they said, usually, you know, regular people have been meditating forever. You know, it takes away you sit and get centered and one pointed and then be able to go deeper and so on. Not him. They said compassion. Boom. He was there. So all Everything just started reading, however they
1: mm. designed
0: that, reading exactly that kind of emotion. Or, mm. uh, uh, yeah, he, <laughs> he's, he's incredible. And he had terrible anxiety when he was young. And his father was the greatest, I mean, his holiness is meditation teacher, I believe, Tukul Urgen, but one of the great, great practitioners of the last, whatever, 150 years or something. And he had this. Isn't it interesting? I'm just thinking out loud now. But that somebody comes in to this great lama's family, both, you know, Choki, Nima, Nima mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and Chokni, um, Rinpoche, those are his brothers, I mean, each one an extraordinary uh, being, and he's in the family, and he comes in with anxiety attacks, which drove him to uh, transform, basically. Mm. I mean, this wasn't, I'm in this family, I should do something like meditate. This was, I got, you you know, I have to. So, yeah, everybody look up Mingyur Rinpoche, and you can find him on the Mind Rolling podcast, too. You would oh, love I, it, Amanda. I can't I mean,
1: wait to listen to those episodes. Actually. <laughs> Bookmarks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we record, as you know, because uh-huh. we're doing it right now, both uh, audio and video. So uh, mm. he was in Kathmandu both times, and it was perfect connection. And so the videos lie at uh, Be Here Now Network uh, YouTube. So you got to see him is what I'm saying. He is just seeing him. Even if you never heard a word, you would like, mm. oh, God, I get it i get it it's that powerful
1: isn't that isn't that aspect of the field so beautiful as far as um you know being in practice a practitioner's presence like like his and I remember early on in my meditation path, actually, over the years I was um, I was helping support clinical research and this wonderful body of research on mindfulness and meditation at UCSF. Mm-hmm. I was going to a few conferences in San Francisco where there were Buddhist monks there at the conferences, and um, they were there doing their, an installation of of mandala art where they were building their mandalas in the middle of the conference rooms and conference floors out of, I believe, sand, different sand, dyed, yes. different sand dyed sands. Sand and they have
0: the, the colored, uh, right. different colors of it, sand.
1: Right, yeah. right. And so over the course of the days, they would just take um, hours and hours and hours to build these elaborate, detailed, gorgeous mandalas. And one of my main first takeaways from being in their presence was that they seem to just really emanate a field of kindness and presence. One, like I had never really been exposed to before, because these were some of the first true monastics I had come into contact with, because mm-hmm. I had been in a lot of Western meditation centers up until um, uh, up until that point, at least, or uh, hadn't been in contact with a lot of true monastics. And I remember in that moment just thinking, wow, I'm literally seeing their field of kindness and compassion and open heartedness and presence transform the people that they're in conversation with right now or in dialogue with or that are just standing a few feet away from them. Um, And I actually wrote about this in Hmm. Kindness Now from the aspect of, of, there's a certain chapter called Widening the Circle of Joy. And it, it, Talks about when I was at a conference, another research conference in Boston, Massachusetts, with Richie Davidson, with Dr. Amishi Jha and all these amazing neuroscientists. And His Holiness the Dalai Lama was a keynote speaker with with Richie and Dr. Amishi Jha. And I remember that morning on the day of His Holiness's address, his keynote address. I remember walking out into the hotel lobby where the conference was being held, and. He had arrived to the location that morning. There were FBI agents outside. There was media, news cameras. There were practicing Buddhist monks from like that had gathered there from all over the northeast uh, coast of the United States to see His Holiness the Dalai Lama. And I walked downstairs and just felt like the energy had shifted in the, in the halls, in the spaces, in the conference rooms that we were all gathering in. And everybody was really present that morning or it made me realize that it's just one person's uh, practice really does have the capacity to ripple out and can, in some ways, be felt for miles around us, that sort of joy yeah. and loving awareness and presence. Yeah, so I, I love that you brought that in.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely true. I, uh, I mean, when I went to India as a young man, I... I got that right away, being around this incredible being and uh, the mm. way in which the effect uh, was so powerful to each individual, mm. exactly what it was they needed. If you can imagine a being doing, I mean, of course, this is no doing, and that's something we just rationally cannot comprehend. I mean, people say, well, he did all these miracles as if he was planning them or something. There was no doing, you know, there's no doing. And that's, of course, what we aspire to. And seeing in these humans, like, I mean, His Holiness, what does he say? He says, I am like I am. Mm. I have, you know, you you think of me as a competitor. He doesn't say it in these words, but I am Mm. like I am because of my mother. And that's Mm. what's going to be the savior of us in the future of humanity is getting total, loving, compassionate care from one's mother
1: Mm.
0: and growing. He said, that's what happened. That's who I am, why I am. My mother Mm. was that. And then you, you know, and you start, you know, how many, maybe, I mean, your mother was that nurturing? And I'm asking, was she?
1: My mother, when I was young, she was somebody I really, really looked up to. She was nurturing. She was really courageous and brave. And she was um, the type of woman who was just such a like a go-getter. Um, nothing really, really knocked her off her own path or really uh, sparked a lot of fear within her. I remember noticing she was very empowered, very brave. And also, just so kind. And um, it's interesting that we're talking about family in a sense and our causes and conditions, because one of the ways I actually have gotten to know the feeling of loving kindness in my own mind, body, heart field has been through the palpable and tangible transmission of loving kindness from my grandfather, my mother's father. And also from, from her, from my mother herself, they both embody such open-hearted generosity and kindness and just love and compassion that later on as a person who had spent you know quite a bit of time meditating and studying meditation at this point and was learning so much about the heart practices and starting to um a practice with with loving kindness and compassion and appreciative joy and equanimity techniques and and practices I realized after going home for like the holidays one year, I said, you know, when I'm in my grandfather's presence, I'm in a circle of loving kindness or meta right now. I feel connected to loving kindness or meta meditation, that that meta presence, that loving, compassionate, generous heart when I'm just with him and I'm hearing him laugh and make everybody else laugh around him. And my mother has that same quality within her as well. Do you have anybody in, in maybe in your family um, that embodies a similar quality of loving kindness or metta? I mean, it sounds like your teachers definitely hold an aspect of that.
0: Well, Sharon's my teacher, <laughs> Sharon Salzberg. Oh, we've been friends forever, yeah. But, and we have an, a, a long. This is I'm going to tell you anyhow because. Well, before, I'll let me preface what I want to say about Sharon and I in that sense. I did not have that role model mm-hmm. that you just described from your mother and grandfather. My my mother's mother, to some degree, loved me, and there was a lot of love, but it wasn't that. And she wasn't living with us, and I wasn't there day to day. And so um, I acted out, as, as I said, I could... I'm embarrassed to even go on about how I really acted out. Uh, And that continued until, (laughs) yeah, you're pointing it. Okay.
1: (laughs) No, I'm worse. (laughs) No, no, no.
0: I'm bad. You're good. You're good. Uh, So what happened, and this is what happens with many, many people, you then spend the rest of your life Mm. moving back. And, you know, God willing, you do find there is a path to transform and you are not your mind and your thoughts and your story and your emotions. You do find that. And then then you sort of have to spend quite a bit of time, okay, I've been at this decades, unraveling that stuff. Mm-hmm. What you were not given, what where you were not held and nurtured and uh, kindness and compassion were not involved it was more in my in my mother's case unfortunately she she had manic depression and so she was involved with fear and that went back to her father, who passed way before uh, she became an adult and so we have to so we spend all of this time spinning into this unraveling which Or we do what I described earlier, uh, we get into spiritual life and we just absolutely exchange that ego and just use it to bypass. Um, And, like, uh, there's one thing in the book. You know, I just have to, I'm going to bring this up. And this is part therapy. This is my therapy. So uh, there's one part in the book where you quote, it's... um, you quote Pema mm-hmm. I love Payma. Who doesn't love Payma She's so phenomenal, right? Anybody mm-hmm. who doesn't know, we'll, we'll put some links in the show notes so you can pick up her, her books. But extraordinarily practical. Her, her teacher was Chogyam Trumpa Rinpoche, which mm-hmm. some people have a problem with. and That's a whole other story, but he was the finest in my mind, uh, translator of Tibetan Buddhist wisdom in the West by far. Mm-hmm. I mean, now there are many others that that uh, do justice, including His Holiness, but Trungpa was really special. I mean, really special. Anyhow, so yeah. Pema comes from that tradition. She said, this is the quote, we already have everything we need. Absolutely true. But I find it to be that kind of thing um can tend to be in in people an up level and that you do not deal with the guts of what you need to deal with because you perhaps did not have that Mm. mother that you had amanda yeah and so that that i've always uh, part of what i do here on this podcast is trying to bring all this into a reali- realistic isn't the right word, mm. but grounded way in which we can relate with these teachings to affect us on a day to day basis without um, getting ourselves into an intellectual uh, mm. tied up kind of situation where you're thinking yourself through. And you are not relating with the experiential part, which is why meditation and that practice and mindfulness is, of course, extraordinarily helpful. So back to Sharon. So Sharon is our preeminent meta loving kindness teacher in this country. Brought it back with Jack Cornfield and mm. uh, Joseph Goldstein. I mean, she's the part of that triumvirate that is her. It's like if you meet Sharon, it's there. You always feel, okay, I'm going to be okay. Just hang out with Sharon for a while. So, you know, I've done tons of stuff with her just for that reason. I don't care about that. And I just care about, gee, I just want to hang out with that meta. Mm. Uh, so I would, you know, I, I haven't been there in some time, but um, in, in terms of the retreats that she's led back east in um, Massachusetts. She does a lot of loving-kindness retreats, and and she'd say, do you you want to come? And and I'd say, Sharon, I don't like loving-kindness meditation at all. I want to do straight Vipassana and blah, 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 and we'd laugh because... Uh, to this day, she says, oh, I'm going to do, like we'd be somewhere teaching, she'd be teaching, I'd be with her teaching, whatever. And she'd say, okay, now we're going to do a loving kindness meditation. And she'd look at me, you can do something else, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the, what is it about? It's about, uh, I, I get, you know, it comes from mm-hmm. my trauma of uh, early trauma and causes and conditions, which I don't want to be ahead of myself. Mm. Mind-wise, intellectually, I gotta experience it truly and authentically, and I thank God. I and that's why people say, "Well, you went over and you were with this enlightened being in India, and and you're lucky." No, I'm not lucky. I needed to be hit over the head with a sledgehammer because I was so you know what up. Uh, so uh, mm. so that's that is a a a, a big thing. For me, And I try and, and talk about that with whoever it is that will listen to me. And you just listen to me. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Amanda. I'm so glad that you're bringing this in because you're, I mean, as you already know, Raghu, you're not alone with that <laughs> initial feeling of, I don't know if I like loving kindness meditation or what is this all about this loving kindness meditation of wishing myself uh, aspirations and wishes of happiness and and health and safety and well-being and and joy and ease and I too um, when my practice really landed in mindfulness-based meditation practices and then insight meditation vipassana um, and then, and then Buddhist inspired practice. Um, I had that same initial path where I was so good with basic mindfulness practice. It was so, helpful to me. It was very supportive to me in a sense, but it was also very intriguing. It was very insightful. Mm. Um, I was so enamored with the richness of, of basic mindfulness practice, basic mindfulness of body, of trying to focus my mind upon the breath, mindfulness of thinking, mindfulness of emotions. I very quickly realized that I had very low (laughs) emotional maturity as a adult or a a young person. And uh, for many years, a lot of my practice edge was really growing my own self-awareness around being honest with my emotions Mm. and getting to know what my emotional landscape was beyond, oh, I'm good, or, oh, no, I'm fine. I'm not so great. That was really just where I was teetering between for you know, all of my life prior. And so basic mindfulness was very, very helpful, very insightful. And when I was first exposed to loving kindness meditation by Jack Cornfield, I was at his, one of his Monday night sitting groups at Spirit Rock, mm. his meditation center up in Marin County. And uh, we were in, well into a sit, maybe a 20 or 30 minute sit. And then all of a sudden, he started offering loving kindness instructions after a period of mindfulness in, uh, sitting and mindfulness instruction. And as I was listening to, of course, Jack's embodiment of these phrases, to your point, these, this warm-hearted, open, inviting, just full of, of kindness, these instructions on start to wish yourself yourself, um, the following phrases and aspirations. May I be happy. May I be healthy. May I be safe and protected. May I live with ease. And there was something in that moment where it felt so awkward and alien to be repeating these words towards myself and like even potentially trying to receive these sorts of wishes from my very own heart and mind And in that very same moment, I could tell after I kind of got over that initial, like, what is this? This is weird. (laughs) Do I like this? Do I not like this? I could sense in my own mind, body, heart. I was like, there's something undeniably helpful here. And there's something undeniably medicinal and true for me here too. And it was in that first real contact with loving kindness meditation where I began to open up to more of the heart practices, more of how do it in a sense it was like how do I not only meet myself with awareness with my mindfulness how do I not only become self-aware but how do I meet what it is I become aware of with skillfulness and with any sort of compassionate understanding so I can actually start to transmute and transform but really make whatever it is I was becoming aware of more workable in in my practice as well.
0: Mm, yeah. I think a, a key word here is uh, compassion, mm-hmm. because there's no way to embody compassion without developing heart practice. Mm. And what yeah. I love, Ramdas in the latter part of his life in, in uh, Maui, came up with the term loving awareness, mm-hmm. right? And... And he used to have so much fun with Jack and Sharon and Joseph and so on because it yeah. would talk about, Ramdas did nothing but talk about souls all the time, soul land, you know. And he'd look at them askance and, you know no soul i understand but and then they would laugh at him you know it was such a because there is only one Mm -hmm. thing Mm -hmm. it's being described very differently in different traditions but there is no possibility of there being more than one (laughs) there's only Mm -hmm. one which that's what we got from uh maharata neem karoli baba says you sat down sub ek it's all one (laughs) there is only one you know uh so um I think that I'm, I'm really kind of happy that we, in, in the tradition we come from, somehow he led us into Buddhism by virtue of insight meditation. Mm-hmm. He never told one person to go there. Somehow we started going there. And then in English he'd go, oh, go into the course. And he, in English, he'd use the word course, which he supposedly couldn't speak English. And we go, yeah. And then I remember one time I went to the course and I came back. And he was with some Indian people. And I got to the place where he was. We had just been at the course. It must have been four or five of us. And he said, oh, you know how to meditate now? And yeah. And he said, OK, go ahead. So we all sat up. And started meditating. Within ten seconds, there was this high peeled laughter, and he was going. This is through the translator. Oh, he th- you're good meditators, he said. You're really good. You know, <laughs> that's how we got into it. I mean, we're talking about you know from Ramdas down, Danny Goldman, who uh, is close to his holiness, and uh, you know, go on and on with different people who have gone out in the world and, and done quite wonderful things. And, uh, but somehow that was a reality. Mm
1: -hmm. And in
0: that reality, combined with the heart stuff, Mm -hmm. meaning bhakti yoga, basically, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that is, I find, uh, and we've been doing it all these years before with Ramdas until he left a couple of years ago uh, with all of our Buddhist brethren. And uh, the combination of it it has to me it's absolutely necessary i think and yeah. that's why his holiness's statement if the compassion that your mother could share with you or envelop you in and kindness that will go further than anything else to help us transform this very very these very difficult times and yeah. the polarization so that's uh, you know again and that's what attracted me to to your book and boy, there's so much of that going on now. People are talking about it. I mean, I have to believe that you're being asked to speak about this in different uh, venues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, it, it. and even from, if we take it from even the pure mindfulness perspective in a sense, taking a step back, looking at the field of secular or modern contemporary mindfulness as we know it here in the West, the past many decades, we've been centered on this conversation of, of basic mindfulness and growing our self awareness. Uh, even the commoditization of mindfulness around how to mm. how do we become a better, more productive version of ourselves, or how do we optimize our our our, our health and our happiness and our well being in our lives and. For as a modern day practitioner, and then as somebody who has the privilege um, to hold space for these practices and to be in the teacher seat, I, you know, I, I started to really, really recognize that people, I was getting the same question over and over again, which was, you know, Amanda, now that I've learned how to meditate, I understand what I'm supposed to be doing from a mindfulness perspective. I bring my attention back to the present moment, but now what, you know, what, what is there next? Like, what do I do with all this stuff that I'm becoming aware of? And so I started to hear that question over and over again. And then just even taking a step back to what it is we've been, of course, going through the last 19 to 24 months, but even beforehand, um, I just felt like the the truth around where we can be going in, in the field of mindfulness is we have to start coming back to the heart we have to start bringing in kindness and, and compassion these practices the other wing of the of the uh, mindfulness meditation birds so to speak or the wing of, of Buddhist practice, there's the wing of awareness, and then there's the wing of, of compassion. We have to start talking about the heart practices more. If anything, it's mm-hmm. I think it's the the call of our of our time to really step into the practices and the wing and the home of the heart.
0: Yeah. absolutely, I'm with you all the way, Amanda. I know. <laughs> Absolutely, and but in the beginning of your your book, though yeah. uh, it's it does state, I mean, all of us who again find the path, find there is a path, and hopefully uh, you meet people like Amanda's grandfather, mm-hmm. who would just walk into a room and you would feel embraced. Yeah. It's what happened to me. I met Ramdas the first time. I felt embraced completely and unconditionally. He stepped out of the way. Richard and Ramdas—they were not there. There was just embracement uh, from yeah. a heart place that was something I had never really experienced. You know, I—I always—I give the caveat, which is, I guess, I can't really remember. But my mother, when I was an infant, you know, mothers do no matter what. Yeah. In this case, somebody who was challenged emotionally, but still, you have no choice. For the most part, but I didn't really remember that, and so uh, certainly you had your grandfather it took me to meet up with Ramdas before that happened. Uh, but the reality is that everyone has an opportunity that if you're open to it. So, what does that mean? I'm not satisfied with what is going on in my life. I have, uh, I am constantly in turmoil constantly unhappy, so then there. I want to, I want to change, just that, I want mm. to change. And mm. so this is what, uh, of course, in the very first thing, in, well, not the first thing, but the beginning of the book, it's all about intention. And, uh, and if one has, so where do you get intention from, right? From real unhappiness yeah. with what is going on in your life. And suddenly, I want to change. That's the first intention. And then uh, the, just two paragraphs later in your book, it's, uh, you talk about wise view. And certainly, uh, the, the first thing is to realize where you are seeing everything from. Your life, the world, people around you. Where are you seeing that from? What is that perspective? And for 99.9, it's here, you know, Mm -hmm. in our heads, believing, we're thinking, Mm -hmm. and we have a story, and uh, we believe it all. I mean, I I tell this story uh, a lot. Adi Ashanti, do you know who Adi Ashanti is? Yes. Uh, And uh, just talking to him, and he, he was like, he couldn't believe when he was a kid that what these adults all around him were acting out the most, screwed up ways you know yelling and this and drinking whatever they were doing and then it took him to when he was like 10 or 11 where he had this realization i know what it is he said (laughs) they believe their thoughts that's what it is Mm -hmm. and then he went into meditation and you know i mean when he was very young i mean just uh, as he was a teenager and for years and years and years and it took him to, he got to the point where he finally had to let go because there was a purpose involved. And meditation and purpose, it's like the Gita, the Bhagavad Gita. Looking for results is not exactly what's going to be optimum for you, Hmm. but doing it because you want to get to know yourself better. And uh, so everybody has that opportunity one way or the other. If you get this intention right or, or wrong, where a teacher will come, a book will come, a grandpa will come, somebody or something will come. It will, the answer will, It the call will be there and the response will be there as well.
1: Absolutely. I believe the first Uh, title of chapter one in kindness now is a call from the heart (laughs) which is exactly what you're describing so beautifully and elegantly ragu is the precious opportunity that we have as human beings to open up to the call to then have the privilege to recognize the call and then the courage and perhaps the resources the teacher the book the timing etc to answer that call from our heart, or that call from our own true nature, our own home of loving awareness within, and um, I love that you are bringing that in. We, I agree with you that if we are open to it or have that view, to your point, then. We are able to come into contact with that warm embrace or that opportunity to really step yeah. into our own hearts.
0: Yeah, universe will speak. Absolutely. I mean, in our tradition, we call that the universe a guru, mm-hmm. um, and there's so many different ways you can uh, c- contextualize what that is. It's you know, I mean, now there's oh yeah, he's the the dry cleaner guru is, yeah, he's the best dry cleaner, you know. So it's been, uh, like most of the, our terminology, the weight of it has gone away by virtue of of uh, the commonality of it. It's just love. And Sharon did a, one, a great thing one day. She's talking about love. And she said, yeah, it's not a, you talk about love, people, and kindness, they think you're weak, you know, and... We, our concepts yeah. are so screwed up. It's, uh, it's yeah. unbelievable. So it's the, yeah. Courage is involved here. Um, just with the kinds of terminology and, uh, how we use it, how we accept it, how we respond to it and, and mm. so on. So I love this quote though. I know we, we got a couple of minutes. I know you got to go in a minute, but, uh, I have to uh, I have to yeah. because I never imagined this in a million years, okay I, in fact, I'd like to do a contest to say anybody could even take a guess as to who said this, practice kindness all day to everybody, and you will realize you're already in heaven now, Jack Kerouac I mean i <laughs> that's mm-hmm. ph- that's phenomenal <laughs> and, and uh, and so you're, yeah. You, yeah, may I, may I meet this too with kindness. And I mm. take that to mean the 10,000 beautiful visions and the 10,000 horrible visions. Mm-hmm. May I meet that too with kindness? Yeah. And, uh, this is not just, uh, um, a fun aphorism, this is a, a reality, and the reality behind it, in my mind, in my experience, is yep. doing the practice that's necessary to be able to meet everything and everyone with kindness. And uh, I, uh, it can't be an intellectual concept that we say words about but are not doing the inner work that's necessary to embody what we're talking about. That's been a little bit of a theme here in, in this uh, chat mm-hmm. that we're having. And uh, uh, I think, uh, and the most important thing is that when, when a bit of that can happen and you can embody it, then we can become like your grandpa, mm-hmm. where he walks into a room and everybody is getting, is being radiated. Ramdash used to talk about this, clean up your heart And move into the center of your chest, into the spiritual home, soul, spirit, no mind, whatever you want to call it, and then go out and radiate that to whoever. And that goes all the way to social action and social justice and everything that you would want to do to effect change. And the last thing is just to say, of course, you can't. Say to yourself, "Well, I'm going to grow into that. Then I'll see what I can do to help." It's all happening at the same time,
1: mm-hmm. which is
0: the which is the beauty of uh, this book that you wrote. It's it it includes all of the whole package, and not just I. I just want to be kind to people. When when his holiness says kindness is my only religion, that's where we we should take the total totality of the meaning of that word
1: and i really appreciate that you're pointing us here because it gives us the golden opportunity to even dismantle our own current views of of what being kind means Hmm. can we allow kindness to be synonymous with with being brave, being courageous, being outspoken, um being in alignment with with the sorts of values and sort of change that we want to see in the world. Being kind does not mean does not mean rolling over into passivity. It doesn't necessarily mean niceness or being a doormat. Being mm-hmm. kind is sometimes the hardest thing mm-hmm. that we are being called to do, especially in the face of even our, our close inner circle triggers, like our close family members, our close friends, yeah. even our, our most immediate world, to be kind to these, these humans who we're in karmic contracts with, um, that know what our exact buttons to push are, to know what our triggers are, etc. Um, you know, <laughs> to understand that that kindness can mean so much more than we usually think about it. I feel like, to your point, and to uh, Jack Kerouac's point, it will, really can make um, a possible more heaven-like experience for all of us on Earth, but a heaven that is grounded in the realness of what's actually happening right now. A, a heaven that is grounded in, in true compassion and change.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the one that just pops into my head that Neem Karoli Baba used to say, or I said a, a few times, never throw anyone out of your heart. Never throw anyone out of your heart. And that doesn't mean you got to like everybody. But it does mean you can't do what we are so proficiently doing now these days in every way the polarity in, in our culture, in our country, in, in the world is so tremendously difficult and we are throwing people out of our hearts. I mean, Mm. I, I see my own tendencies, you know, related to what uh, the incoming stuff of, uh, from politics to gee, are you vaxxed? It's unbelievable. And talk about, yeah, close people that we're interacting with because you know we're okay we're all part of the liberal family or whatever that may be and then but now we're going to create a tribal thing between us right. around vaccination you know? right so the the kindness is taking all of that you know and of course reflecting it but start with yourself right which you talk about in the book yeah so yeah. great to meet you
1: same, uh, Raghu. This has been the most delightful time to reconnect, re-meet each other, <laughs> re-familiarize ourselves with each other, and to be a part of this um, really, really meaningful conversation. I'm, I'm mm. honored to be here and to be spending time together.
0: Oh, it's been great, great. It's, it's just another, uh, another notch in the friendship window that I have Uh, another window, you know, it's like um, all these panes, and I have all these people in my mind's eye that I'm now connected to. It's like grace really is, Mm -hmm. really is. Uh, um, By the way, you will find everything in the show notes, and you'll be able to uh, connect with uh, the book, obviously, and link it up and get it, and uh, as well... Amanda and what she represents and what she's done, websites and all that, and uh, we we have to uh, we didn't hardly get anywhere. To I mean, there's so much that we could have talked about. Maybe we yeah. got to do something again in the in the future, near future.
1: I already can't wait for any part two and whatever <laughs> iteration that that may take, ragu. Absolutely. Uh,
0: <laughs> thank you, thank you. This is thank mind you. rolling, and uh, thank you, Amanda, again. And uh, go to BeHereNowNetwork.com. And we have a whole plethora of incre- some of the people we've been talking about, from Sharon to Jack and Joseph, and uh, much, much, much more. And of course, Ramdas, we will see you next week.